Welcome, everybody. Um, my name is Jose. Thank you for helping me out. Um, thanks for those of you who were, were praying or thinking. I did have knee surgery on Wednesday. Everything went great. And so I'm going to attempt to stay seated. But anyone who knows me, the nervous energy, if I just start jumping, it's okay. All right. Um, well, if you have your Bible, why don't you go to Romans 1? And we're going to wrap up a seven-week series and looking at Romans. Actually, not Romans 1. Go to Romans 15, if you would. Uh, this series has been culture shaping for us. If you've been here, this is week seven. Uh, if you're visiting, welcome. But we want to end it with looking ahead to where God is sending us, not just for the next 12 weeks of our life as a church or 12 months, but the next 12 decades, which I'll be long gone, you'll be long gone. But what's God's future for his church and we're going to look at it in Romans. But before we do that, just a little bit of a recap. Uh, we believe as a leadership that God is sending us and stretching us into a season of growth. And so we've talked about that every week for seven weeks. We're moving into a season of growth. But for those who are new, we define growth by at least three ways. Uh, growth in compassion. That is, Jesus wants us to feel the needs of people deeply. And this year, we're praying for you that you would grow in your heart and your concern for the people in this building and the people that are far from God, but also growth in our calling. Remember Jesus, we looked at Matthew 9 and 10. Jesus called his disciples to pray. The calling of the church is to be with God. That is our calling. Our calling isn't to activity. Our calling isn't to programs. Our calling isn't to gatherings. Our calling is to God himself. And when we connect with God, God will show us what to do. So compassionate Calling. And then the third thing is community. Jesus never called Peter. He said Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. The, the and is important because if you've been called to Jesus, you've also been called into his family. And in his family, you have things that you're, you're specifically designed and shaped to do. And so if you don't do your part, hear me, then the rest of us miss out on all that Jesus wants to do in and through us. And so that's what it means to step into a season of growth. So we did that over the first few weeks. We talked about Hear the Cry, how that expresses itself in compassion and justice. And now, uh, last week, if you were here, wasn't James Gleason amazing? Uh, I almost joined Sunrise Church this week, but <laughs> conflict of interest, I guess. Um, he talked about the, the spectrum of grace and truth. There are grace churches that it's all about love and, you know, acceptance but then without truth, that gets us in trouble. And then there are truth churches that are all about what's right and what scripture has said, but aren't caring and lack compassion. And he challenged me. I don't know if he challenged you. He challenged me to live in the middle like Jesus, who is filled, not half grace, half truth, but filled with grace and filled with truth. And so we're going to round out the series by looking at another spectrum where we can err on one side and we can err on the other side. But in order to do that, why don't we turn to Romans uh, 15. Romans 15. Now, just those of you who have been around, I mentioned we are starting a new series next week in uh, the letter to the Romans. We're going to start with Romans 1 verse 1. But I thought it would be fitting to leave a little seam on the end. End this series in the book that we're about to go to. Here's why. Uh, for those of you who have been here since day one, our church was birthed out of a study in Philippians. God used this letter to church in Philippi to shape 
our foundation as a church. We didn't plan for it. We just happened to be teaching in Philippians, but it really shaped us. And then we moved into a year-long study in the Gospel of Mark. And again, we didn't plan for it to do this, but looking back, God used our time in Mark to center our heart and our attention on the person of Jesus. We're a Jesus church. We love the person who is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so Philippians set our foundation, and built on that was the person of Jesus. And then we launched into a year-long study in the book of Acts. Again, you think we'd figure this out. We didn't consider it, but looking back, Acts shaped us into a community filled with the Holy Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit who filled Jesus and fills the 12 and fills the 120 and fills every other follower to be a community that is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and following his directions into pioneering new territories. So, so Philippians and Mark and, and Acts have shaped us. Now we're stepping into a season of growth as a church. So we've cast the vision over seven weeks and we're inviting you starting next week to journey with us over the next year. We'll end probably Christmas of 2017 with some strategic breaks in the middle to step into now your season of growth as a Jesus follower. And we're not gonna like make it up. We're gonna read through the text and let the text shape us as a people. So that's the plan. But Romans 15, why did Paul write to this church in Rome, why did Paul live such a gnarly, difficult life when he could have had it easy, well-educated, well-respected leader, and he gives up all of it to follow the way of Jesus? And the rest of his life is hell on earth in one perspective because he's fought and persecuted and beat down because he is passionate about this message that he has been given about Jesus. So what I want us to do is to end the series is by looking at Romans 15 to figure out why Paul did what he did and then think about why we do what we do. And then we'll step into that season, Romans 1, 1 next week. Okay, that's the plan. Romans 15 verse uh, 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge and you're competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. What kind of grace? Grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable, acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, verse 17, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and by what I've done. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And it's been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, um, why does Paul do what he does? What is it that he's about? If you look at Romans 1, and we'll get into this Romans 1 and Romans 15 and 16, they bookend the whole letter. So we're going to see an intro very similar to what we've read. 
And then he repeats himself at the end. He wants this church, he wants this group of people who've never met him, although he knows the leaders. He's well acquainted with some of their leaders, but he's not yet been to Rome. He's not planted this church. And so he writes a letter as he's on his way. He's going to make it there, but he's got a country on his mind. We'll look at it again next week, but Paul has been circling for 10 years, three major tourists, planting churches in the major centers of Roman culture, and he's found himself at the end. He's like, I've gone everywhere I can go in this area. Now his eye is towards Spain to the west and to the north. And he knows he's going to go to Spain. And he knows there's a church in Rome. And he knows that Rome is on the way. And Rome is connected to Spain. And so he's reaching out to brothers and sisters he has not met yet, saying, I am going through you. I'm going through Rome. And I'm going to make it out to a new pioneer territory. And I want you to know what I am about. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my heart. I want you to know my DNA. And so we want to round out our vision series about thinking about where we are headed. Paul's writing a letter because he's headed somewhere. And I'm reminding you this morning that we have gone somewhere. We've been somewhere. And we are headed somewhere. God is launching us out. And he's using this time in our history to set the foundation for this next season. All right, well, let's just look at the text and then we'll, we'll apply it. What we've done every week, those of you who are new, we look at the text, and then we see what, how do we do this as a church, but I'm setting you up. What the text says and what we do as a church is only a setup for what God is telling you to do. There's a part for you to play. So I want you to be thinking, Holy Spirit of God, as I read about Paul, as I think about this church, 26 West Church, what part am I supposed to play? So let's just look at the text Again, and it'll kind of tease out his heart. All right, verse 14. I'm convinced you're full of goodness, knowledge, competent to instruct one another, yet I've, I've written you quite boldly. So Paul doesn't know them, but he loves them and he knows their leaders, so he, he's willing to challenge them. I want to focus, though, on the end of verse 15, the beginning of verse 16. Why does he do this? Because of the grace that God gave me. Grace that God gave gave me. You see, Paul knows who he was. Those of you who know the Bible, know the story of Paul, he was a persecutor, Acts. He's a persecutor of the way. He's a persecutor of Stephen, Acts 7. He has him and assigns that, yes, he's one to be murdered for the faith. But then in Acts 9, Paul meets Jesus for himself. And he's on a road to throw other Jesus followers in jail. And when Paul meets Jesus, everything changes and so when he's looking back and he's telling this church about who he is, he says, because of the grace given to me. Let me just remind you, anything that you do in the kingdom of God, anything that you do in the name of Jesus isn't because you're necessarily gifted or, or godly or have experience. Let's set the foundation right. If God wants to do anything through us, it's going to be by his grace because we know who we were. All of us have a story to share. We're all a mess up in some regards. Some are still on that trail. We're all, we're all with baggage. We're all, we all have a past. But by grace, you and I heard the message of Jesus and we have been saved. And it's the grace of God that propels Paul to say, the reason I can talk to you in, with bold terms, the reason I go around and people have my name on their lips and they want to take me down is because of the grace of God. And I'm not ashamed of it. I know who I, I was and I know who I am in Jesus. 
because of the grace that God's given me. And so the same could be said for you. You're not, you're not determined in your future by where you have been. You're determined in your future by the grace of God that's already been given to you. And so I just want to say to some of you at the outset of this, yeah, you may have a gnarly past and you may, you may be remembering what you did and maybe some things that didn't launch. You, you had a vision from God to do X, Y, and Z and it fell flat. Can I just say to you, so what? The grace of God is there. You say, well, Jose, I started following Jesus 10 years ago, but a couple years ago I found myself and it was me and my buddies and now I'm just ashamed. Can I just say to you, the grace of God is here for you. By God's grace, you can now step into your season of growth. And that's exactly what Paul does. He says to the church, let's walk this out. Let's go to Spain, literally, together by the grace of God. Now, what does the grace do? Look at the beginning of verse 16. He says, by the grace God has given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. This is where it gets really good. Minister here in the original is a word that you would have used for a priest. And, and the reason we know that, he continues to say, he says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. How does Paul see himself and how should you see yourself and how should I see myself? We're getting a window on how Paul thinks. And if we're going to step out in faith and do the kinds of stuff that Jesus propelled Paul to do, it's going to require faith in him. How did he see himself? He saw himself as a receiver of grace, right? He didn't deserve it, but God gave it to him. And because of that, he saw his position not as a former persecutor of Christians. No, now I am a priest. Now there's some connotations to that. If you grew up in a Roman Catholic or Orthodox tradition, I'm not saying you should go and take your steps to confirm yourself as a priest, right? To live a celibate life or to, to work in a cathedral or to wear a robe or to administer sacraments. That's not the picture Paul has in view. But he does have a picture in view and it's the first century picture. For the Jews and the Gentiles, it was the same. What is a priest? What does a priest do? A priest simply stands before God and the people. A priest is close enough to the God, whether it's the Roman pantheon or in Jewish tradition that Paul's probably leaning on at the temple in Jerusalem. And the priests have been set apart by God to do what? To keep the people out? No, no, no. The role of the priest, again, try to get out of our mind the, the modern sense. In the modern sense, the priest is the holy man or the holy woman. The priest is the one with all the knowledge. The priest is the one with the right to give sacraments. In this case, that's not what he's thinking about. The priest is the one who is calling on the people, come close to God. And now the people are bringing their gifts, they're bringing their sacrifices, but it's the priest dignified role, like special calling to stand there in the middle. The priest does not get them God. God comes and meets his people at the temple. But the priest is there for that beautiful exchange where people who feel like they don't deserve it get to encounter the living God and receive grace. So, so how does Paul see himself? I want you to see yourself this way. You, friend, you may be a mom, you may be an engineer or a business owner or a student, you're actually more than that. You are a priest. And by that, I mean, you don't have to go to seminary and, and have a title. You stand before God, you're close to him, 
and you stand before the people, and the role of the priest is to say, come, and here's how. Now, here's an interesting exchange. Paul, who grew up in Judaism, which had all sorts of rules and regulations by which the priest entered into the holy place and invited the people into the presence of God. Now, what he says, he says, I have the priestly duty of inviting. You see, Paul says it's no longer about the temple and it's no longer about just Jews and it's no longer about the pantheon and just the Romans. Everyone now is invited to life in God and it's through Jesus. So here's what Paul says. The priest stands and says, come on in. And every time Paul explains the message of Jesus, you know what he says? This is my priestly duty. To proclaim to explain, to verbalize the good news of God. Now, I haven't rounded out what that means to us yet, but I just want you to get the text. Paul is motivated on the inside because he knows who he's been called to be. And if you're a Jesus follower here in 2016, yeah, you look different and your, your, your place may be different and the way you do it may be different, but you, my friend, young and old, boy and girl, rich and poor, new to faith or seasoned in faith, you, according to Jesus, are a priest. And so you have an honor, a responsibility. Whenever you and I live for Jesus and represent Jesus, we are inviting the world to come into the presence of God and experience life in his son, Jesus. That is your duty. That is your role. It's not my job. It's our job together. So he says to the church, we have the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Look at the middle of verse 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles may become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit. And Paul here is just using language that they would have picked up on. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because of the work of Jesus, the Father is calling everyone to life in him. And whenever you and I share good news and someone responds to this good news, they are set apart and made right holy. Just like the, the sacrifice brought to the temple, the lamb that was made perfect, and the sacrifice of the priest opening up that, that lamb, slaying of that lamb, laying out that blood for the forgiveness of sins. All of those beautiful pictures all throughout the Bible are now just pictures. They were for a time. But now, he says, it's not about temples. It's not about sacrifices. When you and I call people to life in Jesus and they respond to him, it's, it's as if they've come to the place that is holy, the place that is God's. And Jesus has made the way and the Father has called them and the Spirit has sealed them, set them apart and said, you're now mine. And so you and I, when we're about daily life, living for Jesus and sharing Jesus, we have priestly work to do. We're not like just a church, a 501c3, a religious organization. We're not just a charity. We're just not like one of many good institutions that make for the good of the city. We stand before the people with the words of God and you have the words of of God, And so we want to end the series thinking about the, the how. Okay, so if we're supposed to be filled with grace, right, and truth, how does Paul do the work? We're going to begin to tease it out and share some specifics. Look at verse um, six, uh, 17 here. 
Actually, verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Notice how we did it. End of verse 18. I skipped it, but I'll repeat it again. Through me, end of verse 18, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and by what I have done. By what I've said and by what I've done. Paul had two ways of helping people experience life in Jesus by what I've said and by what I've done. So what I want to do is tease out for us as a church and think about how can we step into the footsteps of Paul and be a community that is helping the, those who are far from God. The Gentiles were simply those who are far from God. They were not the people of God. How can we invite them to, to, to live in obedience to Jesus Christ? How can we see people experience life in Jesus today? It's by two ways, by what I've said and what I've done. Or put another way, by words and by works. How are people going to experience life in Jesus? By what we say, by our words. And so Paul proclaims the gospel of God. In other words, in order for you and I to step into the vision God's leading us into, it's going to require words. The good news is a message. We'll get into this in the first few weeks of Romans 1, where Paul will say again and again and again, that the only way that people are going to know what Jesus has done is through our words. So the gospel is news. Say it with me, news. It's news. It's more important than CNN or BBC or USA Today or whatever app you use. It's news. It's a headline. It is something that's happened in time and space and history. God has done a work in his son Jesus, and this is news. Now, it, you may feel like, well, Jose, that's kind of old news. No, no, no. What happened still is ringing out. We were not a country 500 years ago. But there's news. People came and they didn't discover America. America was already here. Thank you very much. But they pioneered a place. And at the right time, a group of people said, we want to be a people not under the leadership of England, but we want to be a land that self-governs. Now, that happened a long time ago, 1700s, but that's still news in that we're still living as a country based on something happened in 1776. The emergence of a new nation, that's still news. It's not news. Yes, it is, because what happened then is affected my daily living today. And in the very real sense, the gospel, while it may be thousands of years old in when it happened, is still news. When I am broken, it is still news of healing. When I sin and live against God in rebellion, it's still news of freedom. It's still news of healing. It's still news of life. It's still news of a future in Jesus. It's still news of the filling of the Spirit. It's still news of the entrance into the family of God. This is still news. And so we want to be a people who talk about Jesus all the time. And if you get tired of hearing about Jesus every week, he is the program, he's the plan, he's the message, the stories change, the jokes are hopefully funny at least once a month. But Jesus is the center of every song and Jesus is the center of what we read and Jesus is the center of what we say. We are a people who belong to Jesus. So we can't fall into the trap. So churches fall into two traps to use what James talked about last week. 
we could be all about words. So there are communities that talk about Jesus all the time. Like Jesus, 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 Jesus. They just don't do anything. So I'll talk about this person, this one that they love. So we do recognize, Paul says, through what I've said, my words, and what I have done. Notice, he says, by the power of the Spirit and signs and in miracles, when Paul goes around on this 10-year tour, by the way, just be encouraged, it didn't take Paul his entire lifetime to see a move of God. It happened in 10 years. If you read the book of Acts, he does three tours in the span of 10 years and churches are planted all over the empire. And now he sees himself going to a new pioneer place called Spain. But God's already been at work in Rome. You see, God didn't need Paul to plant every church, but Paul was called to plant some churches. So now he wants to go and be of benefit to the Roman community, the Jesus lovers there. But he wants, very clearly, he wants them to send him out. So he says this like totally bombastic statement. He goes, look at what I have done. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So look at what he says. You want to talk about work? You want to talk about works? From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. That is so, like, ridiculous. You think I've got an ego? Look at this guy. From Jerusalem, all, I have fully proclaimed in 10 years. Now, he doesn't mean everyone's heard about Jesus. He doesn't mean every village has a church. But he does mean he knows his unique calling is to pioneer churches in strategic cities and let the church explode in that region. So he plants it in Ephesus and he plants it in Thessalonica and he plants it in these very important places. And he knows the spirit of God is going to continue the work. But he's like, I got no more room. I'm, I'm like nestled in like... I'm like a person who's had too much sugar and caffeine and a little bit of ADHD. And, and I want to I move on to the next, which I don't have, but I want to move on to the next pioneer territory. I've got work to do, and now it's in Spain. Okay, so we want to be a community that does words and works. We want to be a community that has the spirit in our words and in our works. So the other extreme is you have works churches where it's all about what Jesus is doing. So it's all about the poor and the broken. It's all about justice. It's all about compassion. It's all about the city. We exist for the city and we exist for the good of the city. Now, if you go to extreme, we'll be a community that just talks about Jesus and is unloving, right? We don't care. We don't invest time. We're not sacrificial. We're not like authentic. We just want you to follow our way and come to our building. And if, if we err on that extreme, God help us. But the other extreme is, to me, equally as dangerous. We're all about the city and all about the good and all about lifting people up. And we don't do it in the name of Jesus because we're afraid that they may be offended. Paul was never offensive, but Jesus can be offensive. So Paul is a priest, hear me, not to a cause and not to self-help. He is a representative of the person of Jesus. So he unashamedly says wherever he goes, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if you want to experience life in him, you can. Join the family of God. Be a part of the people of God. Experience the life of God and grow in God. But it is always about Jesus. And my friend, if we do good without the name of Jesus, we have not shared the good news. We have not. So we want to find not half words and half works. We want to be full on words. 
full-on works to the glory of Jesus. And so how do we do that as a community? All right, let's tease it out. And then I want to share and encourage you about what you're already doing. And I want to challenge you to go farther and further. How do we do words and works here? Well, like we, we do our 10% to hear the cry, the poor, the widow, the orphan, justice, compassion. We also take 10% for church uh, planting and evangelism. You may not know that. We don't talk enough about it, but we believe that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do all this. Hear me. It takes the power of the Spirit to preach the gospel. Paul never converted anyone to Jesus. He never actually made anyone change their heart and mind. The Spirit of God does that. But it takes the Holy Spirit to also do administration. It takes the Holy Spirit to love kids. It takes the Holy Spirit to become a foster parent. It takes the Holy Spirit to serve at Foster Parents Night Out. It takes the Holy Spirit to do all this. It's not like we need the Spirit to do the words and then we do the works in our own power. No, we need the Spirit to do both. So from day one, we've had a church planting and evangelism initiative, and I'm proud of what we've done so far. You may not realize that 10% goes off the top, out the door to help start new works. So in our first year as a church, we helped plant a church in Arua, Uganda. I've been serving there for more than 16, now close to 17 years, and we planted a church in our first year of being planted as a church, and we will always do that. But we're, we're not stopping there. We've been a part of the larger story of what God's doing through this family of churches in the area. And so uh, Matt Karsh uh, joined our team early on in our first year as a church. He came in as like first an intern, then joined our staff while he was going to seminary at Western. And then he, he fell in love, got married to Jenna and stole Jenna away from mom and dad who are still here. And they felt called from day one to be a part of a church plant in Spokane, Washington. So I'm here to say that we are already a part of River's Edge Church. We are already a part. We've already given $15,000 to help plant this church. We've, I've been there multiple times. A lot of our team has been there multiple times. We are, we're in touch with them week in and week out. We love this church. And I wanted them to give a little report. As you pray for our work here, I want you to pray for the work of River's Edge. Let's just hear from Matt and Matt. Hi, I'm Matt, and my name is also Matt, and we're part of a church plant here in the city of Spokane, Washington, called River's Edge, and we wanted to share with you what our top three things we're praying for this year. Yeah, so for the upcoming year, um, our prayer requests are that we would have a stable location to gather in. Uh, we don't want to gather in a stable, necessarily, uh, but we would like a, a stable gathering Matt. location as we find our feet as a church plant. Uh, and we're also continuing to pray that God uh, would just weave together a new community and specifically that he uh, would bring families, new families to the church plant. Yeah. And then our third prayer uh, this week, actually, we are launching officially missional communities. And so our prayer is that they would be real and authentic families of missionary disciples scattered throughout the city of Spokane. So let's, uh, let's, let's join them. They're praying for a place, you remember in our first year, we were here, but we didn't know how long we'd be here. And God moved us to a school and then God moved us back. Will we be here for the next 50 years as a church? I have no idea, but we're following the spirit. And our brothers and sister, our sisters are asking us to pray. So let's do it even now. Lord, we pray for Matt and Matt. We pray not only for their current place to meet, but God, you know the place for them to thrive and grow. For these new communities emerging, we pray for new leaders we pray for faith and boldness. Lord, we pray for 
the team to expand the brothers and sisters who already love you and have skill and ability and experience. We pray that they will rise up and support the leadership team and that together we'll see a move of God over the next few years, not just in Spokane, but across uh, Northeast Washington. Lord, we pray that it will spill over. We pray in advance for the churches they will plant. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen, amen. Well, we're uh, a church that believes in local church planting, and so we've seen them uh, begin. They start in September, and we, we, we're in touch. Uh, but we're not just local, we're a global church. So from day one, we've been a part of church planting in harder spots. There's two ways to approach it. There's the approach where you come up with a philosophy and say, this is what we think we're supposed to do, and then you go for it. I don't think that's necessarily the best philosophy. I think when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we listen. God, what are you doing? Where are you moving? And what do you want us to do? So from day one, because of my years in evangelism, I've been involved in outreach in harder places in Europe. So from day one, what, day one we've been supportive of a church called Vineyard Tallinn in Tallinn, Estonia. It's led by my brother Miguel. And we've done outreaches that you've supported, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the good news in schools and with students in, in hard-to-reach places in Estonia. Less than 1% Christian. Less than 1%. But there are brothers and sisters there who are asking for partnerships so that they would see a move of God. So I thought I'd let my brother and his wife, Mai, give a little update on what's happening in Estonia and Vineyard Tallinn. Hello, everybody at 26 West. It's uh, really great to be with you. My name is Miguel, this is my wife, Mai. Uh, we're missionaries in Estonia now for 17 years. Jose asked us to send you a little update of what's going on in a way that you can pray uh, for what God is doing here in Estonia. Probably the biggest thing is uh, coming next year, 2017, we're transitioning the leadership of the church that we planted seven, oh, 14 years ago to a new leader and a new leadership team. And so our roles will be shifting from lead to support. I will also be involved around Estonia with church planting and different evangelistic events. Um, so we are still very much involved, but our roles are changing. And so we could really use your prayer for the church and for Maya and I. Now, Maya is involved with quite a few uh, justice-related issues, and she's going to talk about them. Well, I work in the women's shelter, and so it's very unpredictable atmosphere. You never know what the day will bring and the challenges with it. I work with refugees as a point person from the government. Uh, to help them to integrate. We're going to do in November, beginning a big evangelistic rally on the smaller cities outside of the capital and uh, giving uh, value-based lectures in the schools. And um, I think that's yeah, all. So we appreciate your prayer. We, we're so thankful for friends and family like you at 26 West to be a part of what God's doing with us here in Estonia. God bless. So it's exciting. Paul plants churches but it doesn't lead them very long. Some people are called to lead a plant for a long time. Others are called to pioneer. My brother is just a pioneer of new things in evangelism. So let's pray this year as they transition. They have local leaders uh, that, that that will cause them to flourish and for new things to come, not only for Estonia, but for all of Eastern Europe. So Lord, we thank you that you've given us the blessing of being a part of a work far from here. Lord, we're not satisfied that there are so few people following you in Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and Russia and all over the Baltics. We're, we're unsettled. That, that grieves our heart, but we want to see your kingdom come. So we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, do something this year, Lord.
do something this year in Estonia, we pray. In your name, amen. Sorry I get choked up. It happens every week. This is the, uh, it's not my notes, but this is evidently that time. Now, super excited because you don't know where it's going to happen, but sometimes I'm like, I got a feeling it's going to happen here. Um, I'm thrilled because we have a couple here who are part of a church plant that you and I are already financially involved in, and we're going to invite you to step into in bigger ways. I'm going to invite Andrew and Grace Rothrock. If you wouldn't mind coming up, John, why don't you just welcome them? This is so, sorry to make you sit, Grace, but I'm literally gimpy lame. So, uh, well, Grace, you and I, we've been friends, like family friends for a long, t- for a long time. Yeah, your dad is the best evangelist, I think, that God's given to the church. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, are, we, are we on here? Are we on? Here we go. Flip a switch. Sweet. Now we're on. There you uh. go. So, um, Andrew and Grace, just give us a little bit. You're about to plant a church in Bend. Maybe like, why, why, other than the beauty, come on, we'll get, we'll pass that. Why Bend? What's, what's God doing there? Yeah, Bend is uh, just needs Jesus, you know. Um, we have felt called there for several years, and um, it's exploding right now. There's, as many of you know, um, there's, there, like, in 2000, there was like 35, 40,000 people in Bend. Now, 2016, there's over 90,000 people in Bend. The OSU wow. Cascades is exploding. COCC is exploding. Uh, dorm rooms are going up everywhere. Thousands yeah. of new college students and all the infrastructure that that brings. And we just feel like the Lord has called us uniquely to be yeah. a part and step into that. Um, yeah. See uh, see people come to Jesus. See the whole place transformed. And, and you're not new to the area because you guys served in Central Oregon, right? Yeah, we've lived there probably six years total. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were part of a church in Sisters as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Grace's dad was a a lead pastor at a church in Sisters for several years. We moved out in 2010, fell in love with Mm -hmm. Bend, and fell in love with Central Oregon. I love the mountains and everything about it. And so uh, I stepped on and was a pastor there with him, uh, a pastor to 0 through 28. And it was there we really kind of felt like the Lord was calling us to pioneer a new work, in particular on the west side of Bend, because um, there's just um, not a whole lot of Jesus churches that are really thriving over there right now. So we feel like it's a unique opportunity for us to step into that. And so you you came over, they moved to Portland. This is so cool. Moved here just to get acquainted with the churches and to grow and build a team. And now you're about to go out. You have a team that started. Give us just a little update What's the spirit doing so far? Because your yeah. launch date is the best, like Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, like, yeah. What better place to start a church, what better time? But but give us a little update. What's God doing so far? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. There's so many things that God's been doing. In in part, I think the, the biggest thing is that there's just so many incredible people that God has stirred to join us. We had yeah. a family that moved from the Emmaus Church plant in North Carolina. Wow. A uh, family of five. A family of five moved up from uh, from California. We had a family that moved. Someone we never met before moved from uh, Arkansas. Family from Texas. All really can't explain it, but just say, "Hey, God is stirring us to be a part of this new work in Bend." And then we've had dozens of people yeah. move from the Portland area. Some great community already there in Bend. They're just feeling like God is up to something new yeah. uh, in order to like be an incarnational presence of Jesus in in the city. And you guys are so kind. They came over today and I totally spaced out. You're already meeting for prayer on Sunday nights with your crew. Yes, yeah, exactly. So they came over last night just to be with us this morning. They're gonna drive out as well tonight and be with their crew. What God is doing is unique and what he's doing in Bend, 
my guess, and I'm not a prophet, I think it's going to explode with blessing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people who are going there, frankly, for the mountains, smoke dope, and chill. Let's let's not kid ourselves. That's, that's, right? It's hit the mountain. It's legal here in Oregon. We're not going to podcast this one, so don't worry. (laughs) And, and I think that they're going to encounter the radical love of Jesus Mm -hmm. through this church. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited about all plants, but we, we, as a leadership, we just have this sense that God's about to do something. Mm -hmm. So I wanted them to come because number one, you have a part to play. You already are. You already are playing a part by your just regular giving. Mm -hmm. 15,000 has been given to start the church. We're proud of that. We want to do more. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're wondering what's the secret to church planting? Cash. (laughs) I'm not, when you have a godly couple that are called to lead it and people that are called to follow, you just need the resources. Mm-hmm. So we are fully behind, behind this church. You don't have to worry like, is Ben doing okay? As leaders, we're going to stay connected with them, make sure we're throwing fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. But uh, we want to, what's the one thing we could pray for you guys like right now? Like this one's hopping like right now. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, we, we, the Lord gave us a space to be yeah. able to gather, which is super huge. I wish I could tell you the whole story. You guys can pray that we can get the space all ready to go in time for Christmas Eve. There's lots of updates that need to happen. Yeah, we just yeah. discovered lead paints. We got to like deal with that. So things yeah. like that are really going on. Like but, I said, cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but then but then the other the other thing is we're in the right in the middle of training our missional community leaders, and that's right. just like we have such a such a potent team of people. They're so passionate about the gospel. Just pray that that would continue, and that we would really leverage and champion their passions and abilities for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, let's just pray. Why don't you stretch your hand towards them? They're going to be here um, at the welcome table. And, and if you are stirred, I'm just speaking to some of you, some of you, you have the resources. We're already giving, but if God's stirring you, we could do it through the church to give to them and their work directly. If you have a contact that's, man, my friends are there. I have a business colleague. We want to network for the kingdom of God. So if you know of some activity in Bent, or maybe, you know what, this morning, the Spirit's stirring you. Like, it's time to pick up and move. What Paul does to Rome is he's saying, I'm going to Spain. He has every intention of taking some of these Roman Christians with him. And so we brought them here to say, like, if there's people here that Spirit's leaning on, we want that to happen. So don't be afraid of that. Step into that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Andrew and Grace. We thank you that, that you have already gone before them. You've already set them apart. You've already stirred their hearts. You've already prepared the people. We pray for these community leaders now, God, that by faith they would lean into you and help not just to do weekly meetings or biweekly meetings, but to really make disciples who make disciples. Mm -hmm. Lord, to be a gospel witness throughout the city. And Lord, as well, we pray for favor with this new meeting space. We pray in advance of December 24th. God, I thank you that you already have the people with skill and cash to get this thing done. Mm -hmm. Now we invite you, Spirit of God, to move in and through them, not only for a gathering, but that all of Bend in the greater central Oregon would hear your voice, follow Jesus, and live as your disciples. That is our heart, Lord. We want this church to see thousands and thousands of people rescued from darkness and brought into life. And you've, you've set up the school for this purpose, Lord. We see it as your hand. This school expansion is your hand to bring young people to make them disciples of Jesus. And we pray that that would happen and we expect. Now, what do you want us to do, Lord? We invite you, Spirit of God, to speak to us even now. In your name, amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you oh so man, much. so Thank good. You. You. Love you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so so that was a bit of the stories of what we've been doing. We're going to continue uh, as a church. We will always commit to give 10% to church planting and evangelism because we believe that we're a people that love with deep compassion, but we're convinced that apart from new churches and new works, we never want to be settled. Look, the day that we're satisfied with the number of people who are in this church is the day that things go down. Never be, why? There's like 90 plus thousand people in Hillsborough alone. 90 plus thousand people in Beaverton. There are 250,000 people who should be coming to this church right now. 250,000 people who should be a part of this community right now. And many of them are not even aware that Jesus loves them. So we're never satisfied with the number of Jesus followers. We're never satisfied with the number of churches. We always want more. Not because we're opportunistic, because the Spirit is compelling us in word and in deed, in words and through works, to make disciples who follow Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand at your feet now. We're going to worship the King. We're going to invite him to now take what we've heard and to put it into practice. You say, Jose, okay, what can, what can I do right now? A couple of simple things. Continue to give. When you give and as you give, God's going to enable us to do more. We can do more in Bend as we have more resources. So can I just encourage you, and this isn't a take a second offering thing, be generous here. There are so many causes in the world today, so many good causes, and I'm a fan of many of them. But I'm a fan of the local church because through the local church, we can see the kingdom of God expand week in, week out, month in, month out. Also pray. The vision series was meant to irritate you, to stir you out of complacency and to be in a position where I say, God, now I'm ready. You've worked on my heart. God, now I'm ready. Lord Jesus Christ, do something through me. Final one, and we only ask this a couple of times a year. I'm asking you to come back tonight. Come back tonight, six o'clock. There's an event called Together that we purposely set on the last day of our vision series. The series doesn't end with this gathering. The series ends tonight because we've heard a lot and we've talked about a lot, but now we want to encounter God together. Get babysitting if you have little ones. Please make the sacrifice to get, we don't have kids care tonight. We want you, if you want to bring them, bring them along as well. An hour to an hour and a half encountering God. No preacher, no preaching, simply worship and reading scripture and praying together. Inviting the Spirit of God, not just speak to just the church. We're going to have people from all sorts of churches in Hillsborough here, but inviting the Spirit of God to speak to you. What does the Spirit have to say to you? Can you just carve out an hour and a half tonight? I'm not commanding you, but I'm pleading with you in Jesus' name. Come back and don't be surprised when God speaks. Now, Holy Spirit, as we prepare ourselves for the bread and the cup, as we prepare ourselves to, to walk this out day in and day out, Lord, we invite you now, Holy Spirit, in our worship to guide our singing. And Lord, we want to live as disciples who follow you, not just on Sunday, but every day, Lord Jesus. So prepare us even now for what you have to say as we take the bread and cup in a bit, what you have to say to us tonight. We're open, Holy Spirit of God. 
Speak to us. Your servants are listening.